Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Welcome. We're really glad that you're here. My name is Jason Bollinger. Uh, Most Sundays around here, I get to uh, play some music and, and help lead the worship, but it's great to have Amando in our back pocket and a small army of worshipers ready to lead at any given moment. And so it's just great to see what God's doing here among us. I started recently a, uh, for my devotional, like a read through the Bible um, experience. And I got hung up on something here recently that I just wanted us to, to spend time looking at this morning. And so we're going to look at only two verses as our focus, but we're going to see where that takes us. So we're going to be in the book of Acts. If you have a Bible or you want to look at it on your phone, you can. It's all going to be on the screen for you. So it's nice and easy. Um, but we're going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 28, which is the last book of Acts. Um, in the last two verses of the, of the book, of the last book of Acts. And so Acts is this beautiful picture. It's, a, it's written by Luke, the same author as the guy who wrote the book, Luke. He wrote two books, Luke and Acts. So Acts is the sequel to the gospel of Luke. And so in this story, it focuses primarily on, it's almost like a biography of the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul. And it shows us how the church was started. It shows us how the gospel of Jesus scattered to the ends of the earth. And so here at the end, we have this important message from Paul. And, and it just, I'm just going to read it before we go any further. It says this, Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And those last two words are just what really stuck with me, and I just keep thinking about them, without hindrance. And so, like, what does it look like if we were to live a life, if we were to minister unhindered in our own personal life? And fortunately, we see in Paul an example of a way to do that. And in 2020, our reality is that pretty much everything has been hindered. Our entire life has been disrupted. Everywhere we turn, cool. I got my own bumper music whenever uh, I need it. Just never, never know when it might come out today. Um, and so in 2020, everything's been hindered, right? And I think that's why I'm so drawn to this. It's like, how can we be unhindered when everything around us seems to be hindering us? And I want to just introduce this idea that it is possible to live a faith unhindered, to live a life unhindered, to be like me unhindered, even when the, the world around us is completely hindering us. And for some of us, if we're honest, the hindrances started way before 2020. We can't look and go like, oh, it's like, man, things were rough before then. And 2020 has come along and made it even worse. And so our vulnerabilities have been exposed and our weaknesses have been challenged and our struggles have become more and more real. 
And so just to have an example of unhindered ministry seems like a really good opportunity for us. And it reminded me of another passage in Galatians where Paul says, you were running this great race. Like who cut in on you? What happened? What tripped you up from this race that, that you've been called to live? And so what I want to do, and the kids are going to like this. So if there's kids in the room, we got a little video for you. It's going to be a lot of fun. And so this is just a little look at unhindered and about a race getting cut in on. Let's watch this together. It's good, right? It's good to remember that there's all sorts of hindrances that people are struggling with every single day. And so if you remember the question, it's like, hey, you were running a good race. What cut in on you? What started to hinder you? What got in your way? And you'll notice that in, in life, like there's just a variance of things that could happen. I, in this one, it's like, poor guy's just been training for this his whole life, running the race, and the girl looking the wrong way, like goes right in front of him. So somebody on a completely different journey just got right in his way and disrupted the race that he was supposed to be running. Sometimes there's mechanical failure in the, the one where the springboard like shot the guy way super far there was the the video right after that shows the actual mechanic like they zoom in on him and he he hides his toolbox under like a curtain because he doesn't want anybody to know that he was responsible so it's like it wasn't the gymnast's fault it was the mechanic's fault it was mechanical failure that that caused the disruption and um, sometimes we're distracted by social media look at how many people like fell into holes on the ground because they're just like this all the time completely hindered from the world around them just because because we're so caught up in an electronic or some other addiction or sometimes like you just trip up on accident like you didn't mean to but you just kind of messed up and it wasn't intentional but you you've experienced a disruption like that or or sometimes like just if we're being honest like we've just failed miserably. Like maybe it's a sin that we've committed or maybe it's a relationship that we were responsible for breaking or there's a situation that we messed up and we live under the con self-condemnation is hindering us from being able to run the race called out for us. And sometimes it's like, sometimes we may celebrate a little bit too early, right? It's like life is easy. I've got this. It's no problem. And then all of a sudden somebody runs right by you and you didn't finish at all or everybody else is looking at your life going not so fast like you may want to hold on for just a second but the question is like so what about you and what about me is there anything that's hindering our obedience right now what's in the way of you living a life of faith that God has called you to and if you're kind of quick to go no you know what we're good and everything's all right I just kind of want to invite you to a deeper level of thinking because remember the guy thought he scored a touchdown and ended up blowing that pretty bad so before we're just like oh we're good there's no problems at all what if we're willing to like really go okay, let's do a little audit. Let's do a hindrance audit of our own life, our own heart, and our own soul, and just see if there's any space where we're being hindered from living fully into what God has called us to do. Um, remember the lady at the end? Like, maybe we should just watch the lady one more time. Just the lady at the end, all right? Let's just look. It's going to be like 10 seconds. And so this lady is unhindered. Look at everything coming at her. Like, it just, there's no way she gets across that road and she just keeps walking, nothing, and she just times it right. Like, oh, that's coming, that's coming, and she makes it exactly. And it's like, man, wouldn't it be great? Like, life is gonna throw all of these things at us. It already has, it is right now. But we can be the people who navigate through those things and make it to where God's calling us to be without hindrance. So let's look one more time at Acts chapter 28 and dive into it a little bit. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
Looking at Paul unhindered is looking at how the gospel spread across the world at that time in a very short period of time. And this is also how we can see the message of Jesus spread across the world that we live in now by following this example. So I hope that our goal would be, hey, my goal in following Jesus is to live unhindered as possible. So let's look at a little bit deeper how Paul lived unhindered. The first thing we see in this passage is it says that for two years, um, Paul was, was living this way. And so if you've read through the Bible, Paul had these missionary journeys. And much like Jesus, he faced opposition from preaching the good news. He, he, people didn't respond well to his, the religious people didn't respond well to his message. And just as the religious people uh, persecuted and arrested and killed Jesus for this message, they were, do, they were trying to do the same thing to Paul. So Paul was repeatedly arrested for preaching the good news of Jesus. And so in this one particular case, God called Paul to go preach in Rome. And Paul didn't know how he was going to get to do that. But then once he was arrested, he figured out a way that he could use his arrest. He could use his imprisonment as a way to continue his journey towards Rome. So for those of us thinking about the best possible way to get somewhere, we might not think that incarceration is the best opportunity we have to be fully obedient to the gospel. But once Paul was arrested, he started to see this, this opposition is actually an opportunity. So instead of just getting to a place where he was released, he allowed himself to be under trial. And then he said, actually, I appeal to Rome. I want Rome to hear my trial. And so it was Paul's volunteering himself for a deeper level of persecution that gave him the opportunity to be able to preach. And so what we learn is that Paul was under house arrest for two years while his trial in Rome was going on. Two years on house arrest. So he, he gave some testimony. They said, we like that. Uh, some people hated it, but some wanted to hear more. So he just hung around waiting for this, this final trial. And so we see him there in this place. He ended up in Rome awaiting this trial, getting to testify along the way. And so that time period I think is important. And we're going to come back and dive into what that means for us. The second thing we see is that Paul was unhindered because he was at his house which also it tells us that he was renting a house at his own expense. So we see in Paul that in the life of Paul, Luke is the one that's validating this, right? Paul's not saying this about himself. Luke has observed this and he goes, man, Paul was unhindered. He was two years in Rome. He was living in a house at his own expense. In Thessalonians 2, Paul said of himself, it's really important to me that I work and make money so that I can preach the gospel unhindered. I don't want my preaching to be a burden to you. I don't want you to think that my ministry has anything to do with how much money I make from serving the Lord. So Paul said, so I'm going to make tents. It's what I do. I use my hands and I make money to serve people without hindrance. And so here it's significant because Luke is the one saying this about Paul. Luke is saying Paul is still working. And so there's speculation that even during this two years of being under house arrest, he's probably working and making tents, providing for himself. So instead of having to be in a jail cell, Rome is allowing him, which is also weird, to have his own house. So Rome's like, yes, we're going to investigate you. You're under trial, but feel free to, you know, rent your own condo and make the most of your incarceration. It's just very unusual. So even in his trial, he's finding favor. And I love this because Paul doesn't make any excuses for not being able to minister. Like He could have just been like, well, I'm going to be in jail for these two years. So when I get out, I'll start doing the things that God called me to do. No, in the midst 
of these trying times, he was able to live on, on point, on, in obedience for the gospel. So I think that this is a strong evidence for, for the true definition of church. This is why no matter what happens at the government level, if, if the government were to come in and say, hey, you guys can't gather ever anymore as a church, like we would feel violated because of our rights as Americans. But the church is not threatened by that because the church is a people. It's not a building. It's not an institution. And so even when everything is pressing around, Paul could have used the same excuse. Well, I can't go to the temple and I can't preach and I can't appeal. And so what did he have? He had his house. So what did he use? He used his house. And the church continued to grow because he was willing to use the house that he was paying for as a place to minister unhindered. And so it allows us to have a, a broader understanding of the church and how God used the, the people in the church to spread his message to the ends of the earth. Our resources, our homes, what we have are an opportunity for ministry. The Bible tells us in Psalms that everything belongs to the Lord. Like everything you have, everything that I have, how much, how little we have, it all belongs to the Lord. And the Lord entrusts those things to our stewardship. So we get to choose to be stewards of the things that God has given us. And when we receive, when we understand that, we see that everything that we have in our possession, it's not really ours, it's God's. And when we see it, it's a lot easier to give that away or to see that as a vessel through which we can spread the message of hope of Jesus. We can use our home. We can use our resources. You don't need a budget. You don't need a building. You don't need a ministry director or coordinator. All you need is what you have. It's an amazing opportunity to spread the gospel. The third thing that we see in just these little two verses, right, is it says that he welcomed all. He welcomed all. Right before this, and if you have time this week, I would just encourage you to read through chapter 28 of the book of Acts to get the entire context for, for this lesson. And, and actually, like the whole book of Acts is amazing. So if you have more time, you're looking for something to do for the next month or so, maybe you want to dive in a chapter at a time and just work your way through the birth of the church and the ministries of Peter and Paul. But it says that he welcomed all. And, and why that's significant is right before this, he was preaching in his imprisonment. He was making a defense of himself and, he, and his defense of himself was this is what I believe about Jesus and this is the reality is that the religious people killed him but he was actually the Messiah come for the forgiveness of the sins of the world to establish his kingdom and he was delivering this message and it got mixed reviews right it's like his Yelp score it wasn't very strong like there was some people that were like we're in we want to go to this place we want to join you and then some people flat out rejected it and were angered by his presentation they didn't want anything to do with it and they condemned him and other people were like that's interesting I'd like to hear more about this after a while could you come back and share more and I just think man what a great example for us do you know that it is not our responsibility to win people into the kingdom it's not our job to save one soul that's God's job what he calls us to do in the very first chapter of Acts is to be witnesses as to how this Jesus has changed us. And when we have opportunity to share that with the world, and it's up to God to bear the fruit from our obedience. And so here, even in the life of Paul, not everybody was like, man, we are in, we're following Jesus with you. A third of the people were like, no. A third of the people were like, sounds good. We want to follow this Jesus that you're talking about. And a third of the people were like, I 
I don't really know. When you share the gospel, the same thing will happen to you. So don't be discouraged if you've had this opportunity and you got to talk about Jesus and it wasn't received and there wasn't halos and there wasn't music playing and, and there wasn't some dramatic conversion with tears. Just keep being obedient. Keep sharing what God is putting in your heart. Paul welcomed all. And what we learn about this is that even the people that said, we don't want to believe what you believe and we reject that, it leads us to believe that by saying he welcomed all, that some of those people were showing up at Paul's house after the talk. So some of the people that were like publicly going, no, you're an idiot, we don't want to believe that. Like, hold on just a second. Now, did you say, where did they go? Did they stand up in a group like this and go, hold on, I don't, I'm not good with that. No, they knew where he lived. He made himself available and he welcomed all. He welcomed the people who disagreed with him. He welcomed the people, which in essence meant they were of different, he, he welcomed people of the same ethnicity, he welcomed people of different ethnicity. He welcomed people with the same political views, he welcomed people with dissimilar political views. He welcomed people who believed what he believed, and he welcomed people who rejected what he believed. This is incredibly important because you know the best way that we can spread the love of Jesus? Jesus, when he left, he said, hey, this is how the world is gonna know about me is because my followers are gonna love each other and love their neighbors and love their enemies like nobody else is capable of doing it. And so we see in here in Acts 28 that he did that. He didn't allow difference of opinion, religion, political perspective, ethnicity, gender, or anything else to hinder from ministry. He understood loud and clear that the, great, the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor. He understood loud and clear that the gospel says to love your enemies and even show hospitality to them, even if you're not really interested in it. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to be a pastor. If you have a home, you can welcome people into your home. It's one of the ways that Paul lived unhindered. The next thing is that he proclaimed the kingdom. Now, kingdom is like, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of a tricky word in 2020 and, and Christianity. And because we, I mean, I've grown up in America my whole life. I don't know where you've grown up. And, and my whole life has been about the spread of democracy and celebrating that. And I'm not much of a government you know, guru. I don't know what's best. I don't know what, I know what for me, all I've known is democracy, but I know that historically what's been more prominent than democracy is kingdom rule and reign, monarch rule and reign. So when we come across things in the Bible that talk about the kingdom of God, I think there's a, a part of our American that just kind of doesn't understand that very well. And that's not really our fault. It's just a consequence of, of where we've been born and where we've been raised, but we've grown up in a society, in a government, and elected officials that's what? By the people and for the people. So our voice being heard and our representation being at the highest level is incredibly important to us. And we vote in our elections based on our, our convictions and what we want to be represented in the places where decisions are being made. But in a kingdom, it's much different. A kingdom, like so I'll just say the kingdom of God is not by the people for the people. The kingdom is by God and for God. So the individual voices are not as good of a contributing factor as God's going to have the best rule and reign there ever was. His rules are perfect. His ways are perfect. But I think that sometimes we don't resonate with that very well because we don't have a common experience. When I get to preach on the kingdom in England, they understand a little more clearly about kingdom because they live with a queen. They live under a reign of a monarch. And the identity of the people 
is caught up in the identity of the monarch. They identify with that leadership. It's not about the people, it's about the authority and the kingdom of God. It's not like any earthly thing. And so this is the, the thing they were trying to nail Jesus about. Is like when Jesus came and people were starting to discover that he was the Messiah, they were seeing him as a king to sit on the throne of their kingdom that would elevate their status so that they could be delivered from the oppression that they were experiencing. So they didn't like Rome coming in and, and telling them what to do. And so they were the people of God, the chosen people of God. So they were awaiting a king to rule them politically in this government system and overthrow Rome. That's what the Jews were, were looking for. But when Jesus starts coming on, it's like, this guy doesn't really talk like a king. He's like, the weak are strong. The weak are strong. The, the poor, the poor are rich. The dead are alive. Like everything about God's kingdom was backwards and it was upside down to the people of their time. And, and I think that the message that, of the kingdom is just simply this, is that in our hearts, like we long for a place where things are right, where things are as they are supposed to be, where people are, are taken care of, where, where there's no wars, where there's no sickness, where there's no death, where there's no orphans, where there's no hunger, where there's none of, of these needs. We long for that and we want to be a part of a solution for that. And what Jesus says is that the kingdom of God satisfies all of that. And one day that kingdom is going to come and be finished. But right now we're living in the tension. Jesus came and he started the kingdom and he's, he introduced his rule and reign. And he said, this is coming. So trust in me, hope in me. And he's like, and it's not going to be finished until I come back and take the church with me to heaven. And so there's this idea of where we are just kind of feeling like this isn't right. It should be more than this. There's got to be a better solution. And friends, there is. It's the kingdom of God. It's the solution for everything that there is. And in our hearts where we want things to be made right. It really means that culturally, our cultural norms need to be turned upside down to better reflect the principles and the character of God and his kingdom. And so our, we're stuck in this tension. The theologians call it, we're stuck between the, the already and the not yet. And we're living in this tension. And the kingdom of God is coming. And those things we long for, we know they're coming. But we're stuck in this discomfort and so we fight hard to try and be a part of solutions. And, and that's why people are so interested and convicted in their politics because they, at the heart of it, it just seems like everybody wants to fix a certain number of things in a certain number of ways. But what the Bible teaches us is that none of those are going to be satisfied until Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom for once and for all, because our hope will never be in anything horizontal to us. Our hope will only ever be in Jesus. And if you think that's a controversial message in 2020, it was a much more controversial message when Paul was preaching it 2,000 years ago in Rome. But it says that that's what he was proclaiming. He was preaching the kingdom more than anything else. In the first chapter of Acts, the disciples pressed in on Jesus just before he ascended back into heaven. And they said, hey, so the kingdom's here, right? So if you look at Acts chapter 1, it's about the kingdom. If you look at Acts 28, it's about the kingdom. If you look at every page in between, it's about the kingdom. If we're going to be unhindered in our life and in our ministry, it has to be about the kingdom. It has to be about the kingdom. The next thing it says is that he taught about Jesus. 
He taught about Jesus. So he went further and to say, by the way, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Messiah. When Jesus came onto the scene, everybody was like, who is this guy? He preaches differently than anybody we've ever heard. He doesn't seem to be interested in building a platform, but he's raising people from the dead. He's casting out demons. He's, he's doing these miraculous signs and wonders. He teaches with incredible authority. He's hanging out with outcasts, like people that we've never seen. And so people were trying to figure out who is Jesus. And can I tell you something about 2020? That hasn't changed either. People are still trying to figure out who is this Jesus? Like, you see the difference? I think that we somewhere along the way, like we subbed out going to church for the kingdom of God and Jesus ruling and reigning. And a church is great. Church is a part of the kingdom, but the church is not the fulfillment of the kingdom because we're a bunch of imperfect people who mess up on our own and we're serving each other and loving each other and we're on a journey together. But we're not going to save anybody. Only Jesus can do that. The kingdom of God coming to earth with Jesus leading the charge was the utmost priority for Paul. So everywhere he went, he's explaining people who Jesus is, what he's done. It's a, if you remember back from the Gospels, just this pivotal moment in the life of, of Peter when Jesus looks at him and he says, who do you say that I am? Actually, he asked all the disciples, didn't he? He said, hey, who, who do people say that I am? That's still an interesting question today, because if you ask like a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds and a bunch of different places, you'll get a bunch of different answers. Well, he's a teacher, like he's a rabbi, uh, he's a prophet, um, the Messiah, um, the king, like people will try to figure it out. But then individually looks at people and goes, well, who do you say that he is? Do you know that's still a powerful question? If you're looking for a, a powerful question to help share the gospel with somebody, maybe you can start with, hey, who do you think that Jesus is? And you know what you can do? You can respond with who he is to you. It can start right there. I think sometimes we think we have to have the right answers and this right theory and this formula and go through this course. When all Paul's he's talking about the kingdom and he's talking about Jesus. And those are two things that you and I can do. With a little more clarity, it says that he's doing it with boldness. He's with boldness. So this is a challenge for us, right? Is this something that's hindering you and me from, from our everyday obedience and ministry? Is it boldness? Is it boldness? Because Paul wasn't afraid. He was facing the potential of death. And he didn't back down. He just continued to preach, continued to teach. And he wasn't going to let even the fear of death get in the way of that. And then finally, it says, without hindrance without hindrance, with all boldness, and without hindrance, he did this. Paul's adversities make 2020 look like a walk in the park. The things that he went through in his ministry are like nothing else. At one point, um, he was being called into question, like, who are you to even be sharing these things? And there's other people that are the same as you. And he felt the need to defend himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this was, Corinthians was written about 15 years before this part of Acts was talked about. So the, a lot more has happened since then. Like he was shipwrecked for three months just trying to get to Rome. And then he's been incarcerated for two years before even that happened, he says this about himself. He goes, are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors. And here's where he talks about his adversity. I've had many more imprisonments 
far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea on frequent journeys. I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There is this daily presence on me, my concern for all of the churches. He had a lot going on, guys. That's a lot of adversity. Any one of those things would have been enough to hinder him from his obedience to go, you know, I just need to tap out for a second, right? I'm just not in a good place. I'm just tired. Like, it's too much. We don't get that. Despite all of those things, he was unhindered. So we see that and what it means for us is that no matter what we're facing, no matter what our adversities are, we can be obedient. We can live unhindered as well. So let me just make this personal for us real fast. This is what it looks like to be me unhindered. That was Paul unhindered. This is what it looks like to be me unhindered. So we're just gonna take those same seven things and we're just gonna make them personal, right? Number one, the time and season to live unhindered is right now. Every time is the right time for obedience. Every season, in fact, is the right time for obedience. And the harder your season, the stronger your opportunity to proclaim the kingdom and to teach about Jesus. It seems backwards, but in our weakness, he is strong. When we're facing the most adversity, if we learn from Paul, is a good time to share the gospel. Paul could have used his imprisonment as excuse. He could have felt sorry for himself, made a deal with God, but instead he ministered unhindered, even at the very worst time. So I just have a question for us. We're just going to call this like getting real, right? How can I use this time and season to minister to others? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in. It doesn't matter what your challenges are. It doesn't matter what your adversities are. How can you, where you are, use this time and season to be unhindered in your ministry. And at the end, I'm gonna give you a QR code where you can like take a picture and all these questions. You can have these if you want them in the slides. The second one, home and resources. Today in our culture, our homes have become more of an escape and a refuge than they have uh, a source of hospitality. It's like everybody gets home and the garage door goes down as fast as humanly possible and nobody wants anything to do with their neighbors, right? And so what if we were a little more kingdom in our approach to our home and our resources and we saw those as a vessel for the good news? The Bible teaches us that those are all gods anyway. So, so how can we use our home and resources? If we're getting real, how can I better use my resources to serve others? How can I use my home to serve others? And, and, and how can I see what I have, whether it's a lot or a little, as an opportunity to bless other people? Number three is hospitality. And I just want to say hospitality without prejudice. It's easy to be hospitable to your family. It's easy to be hospitable to the people that like you and think you're great. But what if we were to take that a little kingdom further and say, how can I show hospitality to somebody that challenges me? How can I show love to somebody who opposes me? How can I invite somebody over who's different than me? If we're getting real, let's just consider who is God calling me to show hospitality to? Could it be that the person that antagonizes you the most is your best opportunity to show kingdom hospitality to? Number four, kingdom first. We see this in Matthew 6, 
33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? Everything else is second. Can I ask us a question that might be a little bit uncomfortable? Am I more known for being an advocate of the kingdom of God or for a cause or a political party or a sports team or a TV show or a car manufacturer or a video game or anything else? Am I known more for being about the kingdom first or am I known more for something else? Could it be that that's hindering the ministry opportunity that I have? Number five is Jesus always. In 1 Peter 3, it's just, said, you know, it's just saying, hey, live a life that provokes people to ask you about Jesus. And when they do, be ready to talk about Jesus. Do you have your Jesus story ready? And if we're getting real, we say, am I able to share about Jesus? What's important? Why he's important to me? Am I able to, to teach what I know? And then maybe if you're like, actually, no, then maybe the priority is, am I growing in what I know? Do I need to actually, before I move into more of this, get serious about learning more about Jesus? Number six, really quick. Confidence. Second Timothy says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of confidence. The power of the spirit at work in us. If we're getting real, what am I afraid of? And what do I have to lose? And then the last thing, focus. Paul had all of these challenges, all of these adversities, and he didn't allow that to get in his way. In Hebrews 12, he says it like this, let us lay aside every hindrance, the sin that entangles and snares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And if we're being real, we ask, what's hindering me? What is keeping me from living with this focus and this commitment? What do I need to change to be me unhindered. And I just want to call our attention back to the verse in Galatians. You were running superbly. Think about a time in your life where you were running with God, closest to God, on fire for God. If you've never experienced that, hold tight just a second. But if you have experienced that, when was a time where you remember being closest to God? What happened to that? What hindered that? Who cut in on you? What's gotten in the way from that? Why can't that be a reality that we experience on a continual basis? Are we making excuses based on our adversities? Are we seeing the opportunity? Remember the lady from the video? Like, yeah, come on, bring it on. I'm good. I'm just going to keep going, keep navigating that. I'm going to live in this obedience that God has called me to. Who cut in on you? So, me unhindered. I know it's kind of like intense, right? And let me just remind you to close with this. This isn't about judgment or condemnation because I'm not anybody's judge and I'm preaching it. For those of you that don't know me very well, it's like I write sermons to myself and you guys get to listen in on my own personal struggle, right? So I'm working in my own life like, hey, if that's how Paul ministered unhindered, I have a long way to go in that. And I just want to invite you to wrestle with that same possibility. How are you in your, your faith unhindered? This is an opportunity 
for a greater obedience. It's, a, it's an opportunity to sync up and to live more fully as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And God uses where we are to bring honor and glory to his name. And for those of you that like, you don't know what, the, like this sounds like a foreign language of being close to God. Like maybe that's because you haven't come into the kingdom of God. And I just want to tell you that there's an invitation for you to come into the kingdom, for, for you to believe things about Jesus that maybe you've never believed before. And I'd love to have a conversation with you or, or whoever in, came with you. If you're watching on, online, like would love to talk to you more about this. We're here to help. That's why we gather like this is to invite as many people as possible into the kingdom of God because we believe it's the best thing that there is and it's worth putting everything else second because we found this amazing treasure in Jesus and we would love for you to experience what we have experienced. But as we just kind of close the teaching time, I just want to invite us to bow our heads. And there's nothing magical that happens when we, we, we bow our heads. It's just about privacy. It's just about privacy. So there's just as you think about these things and we think about the example of Paul, is there anything you see hindering the life that you believe God's calling you to live? And as you think about the things in your life, you probably already know. How do we throw those things aside? How do we move past those things and not let them be a hindrance to the life, the better life that we believe God is calling us to where we can also bless the world? What needs to change for you to feel unhindered? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.